Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. All right, welcome back to another Baseball America Prospect Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Ponce, one of the prospect writers here. I'm joined by our national writer, Kyle Glazer, to go through the Seattle Mariners system. Kyle, you've been doing the Seattle system for quite a few years now. And it looks quite a bit different this year than it has over the last couple where they were loaded with talent at the top of the system. But it was for a very good reason why they've gone down a little bit in terms of talent at the top of the system. So, Kyle, welcome to the show. And talk to me a little bit about the differences between last year, maybe the year before, and then this year for 2023. Yeah, I mean, I've sort of seen the rise and fall of the Mariner system really a couple times over. My very first job as a professional journalist was covering the High Desert Mavericks for the Victorville Daily Press. So I was covering the Mavericks and they were the Mariners farm system. Brad Miller was there. Stefan Romero was there. Vinny Catracala, Mariners fans will remember some other guys who were high draft picks, Steve Barron, a lot of guys who worked out, a couple guys who didn't. And at the time, the pretty good farm system. And then Things got a little lean there in the in the middle of the decade. And at one point they did have the worst farm system in baseball. And you go back and look retroactively, and that was about right. You know, maybe you could argue oh, they should have been 28th, 27th based on career outcomes, but they were a pretty, pretty rough farm system at the time. They went into a full-blown rebuild. The major league team went down, but the farm system kind of blossomed. And we saw the fruits of that last year when the Mariners ended the longest postseason drought in North American professional sports. And the homegrown talent was a big, big part of that. The guys who helped give them the number one farm system, Julio Rodriguez and George Kirby, were their numbers one and two prospects. They graduated to the major leagues, played starring roles. You look at guys who had graduated maybe a little bit earlier. Logan Gilbert was a huge part of the success as well. And, you know, a couple other guys who maybe were not the biggest names in the farm system, but were able to provide impact as well. You look at Cal Raleigh, who was never a top 100 prospect, but was always a pretty good prospect, a top 10 type in the Mariners system. You know, he and Gilbert weren't part of the number one farm system officially last year, but they were part of the rise to number one. Andres Munoz was part of that number one farm system ranking. So this is the point of having great farm systems. You graduate that talent to the majors and it gives you a winning team. And the Mariners did that very, very well. So you know, their farm system now is, is nowhere close to number one like it was at this time last year. It's in the bottom third of all farm systems in baseball, but it's for the right reasons. They graduated a ton of talent to the major leagues, got to the postseason because of it. And now it's just time to backfill. Yeah, and let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the number one prospect in this system. That's Harry Ford. How difficult of a decision was it? Was there any debate in terms of who was number one? Because I don't think there's any truly clear-cut number one here, let's say, among the top three or four, but he probably makes the most sense. So talk to me a little bit about the process and why Ford is your number one. Yeah, I mean, going into it, definitely there were some conversations about, hey, who is the best guy in the system? You kind of had a sense 
Harry Ford, Cole Young, Bryce Miller, and Gabriel Gonzalez were the quartet there was going to be some debate between. And as I got deeper into it, having conversations with evaluators both inside and outside the organization, Ford did kind of separate himself a little bit. It wasn't a huge gap, but I will say that as the process unfolded, it became clear that he was the best prospect in the system, just given the tools, the athletic ability, and his performance last year. I think some people look at the overall slash line, and it's honestly, it's pretty impressive. But if you keep in mind, he was playing hurt really the first two months. Once he got fully healthy from June on, he was one of the best, most productive hitters in the minor leagues. And yes, it's the California League, but Modesto is actually a pretty neutral park. He was playing his home games in a park that plays pretty fair, and he performed there. So he performed offensively. He's a premium athlete, kind of a unique one on a baseball diamond. You know, the defense has a ways to go, but it wasn't bad. And you can see the ability um, to play multiple positions as, as he gets older as well. So you look at the athleticism, you look at the performance, especially once he got fully healthy, he kind of separated himself from the pack a little bit. In terms of Ford's ability to stick behind the plate, do you view him more as like a guy who can catch in the future and will play multiple positions, say like a la like a Dalton Varsho? Or is this a guy that they plan on developing as a catcher long term and they they feel internally and I guess externally as well that he has the skills to stick there long term? Because it is a, a rigorous position. Yeah, they're going to develop him as a catcher. They do feel like he has the skills to get there. Now, there needs to be a lot of refinement. He's very, very young, really all aspects, catch and throw, blocking, receiving. It, it, it needs development. Again, he was a high school draftee. Um, it's a slow burn with catchers. But the Mariners do believe, just kind of in a vacuum, that yes, given enough time to develop behind the plate, he could be an everyday catcher. The thing is, they have a really good everyday catcher in the major leagues in Cal Raleigh, and pretty consistent. We see it all organizations. You let a guy develop at kind of his natural position as long as you can, and then as he gets closer to the majors, if there's someone blocking him, you start bouncing him around a little bit, finding him other avenues. So I would expect, based off everything I've heard from the Mariners and what their plans are. They're going to continue developing Harry Ford as a catcher for as long as they can. And then as he gets a little closer and if Cal Raleigh is still performing the way he performed last year or better, then they'll start seeing, okay, let's see how you look in center field. Let's see what you can do at second base. Let's see what you can do at third base. When I talked to the Mariners at first, I thought you'd throw Ford at second base and Cole Young at third base, but after talking to them about their two skill sets and where they kind of fit best, you actually had a lot of thought that Harry Ford would end up better at third base because he has the arm strength for it. So that could be his ultimate position, but for now it, they're going to let him catch and develop him as a catcher. And he's going to get some valuable experience in the WBC. I believe he is the only catcher or the primary catcher, at least on that great Britain squad. Um, so it should be interesting to at least get, you know, see him get some, some at bats and some experience against major league players, uh, in the WBC upcoming, certainly stuff to watch out for and your coverage, of course, uh, cause you're going to be covering the WBC for us pretty extensively this spring. So something there to look forward to, but you know, I had to ask about this guy. Bryce Miller is one of my favorite prospects. I love to get in on the pitching prospects on the data, all that sort of thing. Certainly Emerson Hancock is a well-known name, probably in some circles still more well-known than Bryce Miller. You have Bryce Miller as the top pitching prospect in this system. 
sort of what are the differences there? Why was Miller the clear one that, that got the nod at three versus Hancock at five? Just straight up better stuff. Just straight up, there's just more there. You know, it's interesting. I remember last year, we did not put Emerson Hancock on our top 100 prospects and Mariners fans were flipping out. I mean, on social media, I think that was the thing that I got yelled at the most. And when I responded, when people asked why I talked about, there's injury concerns, there's a lot of relief concerns. The stuff is not as good as people expected. And uh, I remember even seeing a blog post basically saying everything I was saying was wrong. And no, it was actually right. We got it from scouts throughout the game that, you know, Emerson Hancock is is fine, but he's really a, a number five-ish starter, if you believe in him. Even the Mariners acknowledge the best case scenario is a number four starter. Most other evaluators believe it's number five or relief. And, and again, a solid guy who knows how to pitch. But Bryce Miller is just a completely different level of ability. It's a completely different level of stuff. And mentioned he's one of your personal favorites. He's one of everyone's personal favorites. You talk to scouts throughout the year and it was like, whoa, this guy is really, really something. Seeing him for myself, it was, whoa, this is explosive stuff. Really the fastball. He's one of those pitchers who can just dominate with his fastball. Hitters know it's coming. They still can't touch it. The velocity, the movement, everything about it. And, you know, coming out of the draft, Bryce Miller was seen as a likely reliever. Even the Mariners internally thought he was a reliever just because, the delivery could be a little violent. It was super fastball heavy. There were some questions about the secondaries and the control. Everything got better last year. The secondaries got better and more consistent. The control got significantly better. And the delivery and the arm action, you know, there are some days it looks more reliever-ish, but most days it actually looks pretty starter-ish. And he showed the ability to hold his stuff over a long season. I mean, he did not wear down at all his final start of the year. He went seven innings. It was arguably his best start the entire season. That was, you know, in September after a, a long season in which he logged a, a full workload of innings. I mean, seven innings, two hits, two runs, 14 punch outs on September 17th in double A. I mean, what more do you want? Stuff, durability, controls moving in the right direction, secondaries moving in the right direction. He, he really answered a lot of the questions about him last year. And um, he has a chance to be an impact pitcher in Seattle sooner rather than later. I'll say, you know, there's a couple of other pitchers here sort of, you know, around the top 10. Dollar Wu, we saw him in AFL, Baroa. How far were those guys? Away? I know Baroa is a little bit further away in terms of this conversation, but how far away were like Dollar and Wu from Hancock and sort of being in that conversation for number two? Or do you still feel like Hancock is sort of the clear cut number two in the system? No questions asked. Yeah, you know, Hancock probably is the clear-cut number two. So I talked about the reasons why he's not a top 100 prospect and more of a back-end guy. But again, every team needs good number four or five starters. You'll say this for him, right? He knows how to pitch. He's very mature on the mound. He's very poised on the mound. And the biggest thing with him is just he's got to stay healthy. And we saw last year, he started the year injured again, did come out and stay healthy the rest of the year once he returned. Had a perfectly fine year at Arkansas. Wasn't dominant by any means. 98 innings, almost a strikeout inning. Walks weren't terrible. Look, the fastball needs a little more behind it. The slider is pretty light at the moment in terms of both velocity and shape. The Mariners didn't want to mess with it too much because they were just focused on, hey, let's just let him get on the mound and, and we're going to focus on keeping him healthy throughout the year. We're not going to mess with too many things right now. Durability is the number one priority with him. So maybe now here this coming year, 
We've seen the Mariners add velocity to a lot of guys. I'll never forget watching uh, LJ Newsom and Reggie McClain throwing 86 to 88 in the Cal League, and then they're pumping 94 in the majors. So the Mariners have had no problem helping guys add velo. We see guys with high aptitude reshape and add power to their breaking balls a lot, and Hancock is one of those guys. You know, and the change was pretty good, so maybe it could take a jump forward, but you still see three usable pitches, solid control, and a good feel for pitching. That just makes him kind of the, the clear-cut number two pitching prospect in the system. Dollard had one of the best years of any pitch in the minor leagues. Impressive all the way around. Is he a true starter versus swingman? The general sense is it's going to be more swingman. The stuff is is great slider, and the fastball is just good enough. But it's not the kind of fastball you can really lean on against big league hitters. So it's going to be, you know, set him up with the fastball, finish him with the slider, He's from the stretch exclusively. It's really two pitches. Again, there's a lot of relief swingman stuff in here. Brian Wu's the guy that you can see it from a pure ability standpoint, could zip past Dollard and Hancock in terms of what he could be in the major leagues. He's a great athlete with great stuff, great arm. The delivery is, is really, really beautiful to watch. And he was a big riser at Cal Poly until he got hurt. The biggest thing with him is he has to prove he can hold up. We talk so much about durability. Hancock has had some injuries, but he threw 98 in the third innings last year. Dollard was one of the most durable pitchers in in the minor leagues last year. Wu came off of Tommy John surgery, pitched a partial season, is a lot of shorter stints. So showing he can take the ball every fifth day and hold up six, seven innings at a time is going to be big. But you just look at, the body, the, the delivery, the athleticism, the fastball really, really plays. You could see a scenario here where he rises above these two guys. You just couldn't pull that trigger yet because you have to see if he can hold it over a full season. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that I like about Wu that I'll actually say is very similar to Bryce Miller, really clean, beautiful operation, sort of a release height outlier. He gets that flat vertical approach angle on that that four-seam fastball, gets that ride. So there's some similarities there, and you can sort of see, I think we do with, with all these systems when we dig in deep, but there's a certain sort of style and type that certain uh, teams go for because they know that they can you know, improve that sort of style of player. So Wu was one of those guys that sort of popped for me the first time I watched him, didn't know a whole lot, had seen him here and there, maybe in a start or two, um, you know, while he was at Cal Poly, but I can't say that I'm always watching sort of uh, mid-major West Coast baseball on a regular basis. It's a little bit late for my bedtime nowadays, but yeah, that's um, that's more that's more my vibe. You know, I was, I, he was he was a big riser in the draft that year, and if he hadn't gotten hurt, there was a real sense he could have gone significantly higher. And the Mariners did a great job nabbing him, and they were patient enough to rehab him. And like you said, the fastball really, really, really plays. We saw that last year, 84 strikeouts and 57 innings uh, across three levels. So if he can stay healthy and hold his stuff, you know, he's the kind of guy that you could look up a year from now. And if Bryce Miller has graduated and for whatever reason, Emerson Hancock hasn't and Taylor Dollard hasn't, Brian Wu could very well be the number one pitching prospect in the system this time next year. At the same time, if he shows he can't hold it over a full season, you know, it's a different conversation. There's a lot of variance here and uh, we'll just have to see what he can do. But I I know I'm excited to see what he can do now his first full year back from surgery. Absolutely. And before we take a quick break here, let's sort of talk about a pair of international players that are in a top 10. Um, Gabriel Gonzalez, 
as well as Michael Arroyo. I know that when we were doing some of the pre-work for the WBC, when we were out at the winter meetings back in December, we had sat and gone over to the table, discussed with the Columbia manager, sort of about their team, um, what their expectations were. And he was really emphatic about you know, how good of a prospect Michael Arroyo is, how important he kind of is to Colombian baseball, and that he really wants the world to see the, the talent that this guy has. You know, he was very good in his pro debut, but talk to me a little bit more about Arroyo and the type of player he can develop into, because we've seen some international position players really pop within the system over the last couple of years, Julio Rodriguez being the prime example, of course. Yeah, Holbert Cabrera, Colombia's manager, was effusive in his praise about Michael Arroyo and his excitement to have Michael Arroyo on the WBC team. And then when the WBC rosters came out for Columbia, Michael Arroyo wasn't on it. So unfortunately, he won't be playing the WBC. But this guy is a really, really, really good, pure, natural hitter. It's just this short, direct, beautiful right-handed swing, barrels up everything. You know, it's funny. Lazaro Montes was the bigger name in the international signing class. But as I went through this process, everyone in the Mariner system, and I mean everyone, every official, every level is like, O'Royal is the guy. And Lazaro Montes is not one of our top 10 prospects. That was consistent the whole way through. He's probably not a shortstop. He's going to move to second base, but he has a chance that the comp that came up pretty consistently was Howie Kendrick. Howie Kendrick had a really, really, really good career. He was an all-star at his peak, was a key part of some championship teams, World Series hero in 2019. So again, just a, a guy who sits and plays second base and is pretty good at it and can just really, really, really hit and make contact and be that perfect number two hitter. You just see that natural hitting ability where you say, this is a guy who has a chance to, to hit for high averages and get to double digit home runs. And then Gabriel Gonzalez is, is a very different player. I saw him when he came up to Modesto at the end of the year. You know, it stands out. I mean, it's the bat speed. It's an explosive, powerful swing. And he has the ability to send balls a very, very, very long way. He knows the strike zone pretty well for his age, too. Um, the big thing is the swing path is a, is a little bit uphill. And as he starts seeing better stuff, the aggressiveness in his approach could be exploited a little bit. We see guys all the time make some swing adjustments or, or rein in their aggressiveness as they mature. And maybe he does that and he really takes off. But until he does that, it's hard to pump him up all the way to number one. Where, like I mentioned earlier, he was kind of in the conversation when I began this reporting process. And in the end, it was like, hey, he's actually kind of the clear number four of this group, and here's why. Another thing with him is just he's he's a very big boy already. He's gotten bigger year over year from his debut year to now even. So there are some concerns about the fitness. Watching him even move out in left field in Modesto last year, he was pretty slow getting to some balls, allowed a couple guys to, to take an extra base on him. So maintaining his fitness is going to be big, but he's got an arm. He's got power. You can see a, a right field profile. There's just a few more questions than I think people perceive based on you know some things they've read or look at the stat lines in terms of the aggressiveness, the swing plane, and, and also the fitness. But if it all clicks, there, there's a pretty solid upside there. There's just a, a little more uncertainty than I think is sometimes perceived with him. Interesting. Very interesting players there and some names to keep an eye out for. We'll be back with some more names to keep an eye out for here in the Mariner system after this quick break. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. 
Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. All right, and uh, we're back. Jeff Ponce, Kyle Glazer, working through the Seattle Mariners' top prospect list. Kyle, as we go outside of this top 10 a little bit, there's a name uh, in particular that's gotten quite a bit of buzz, particularly on social media over the last year or so. Some of it's due to the big stuff. Probably some of it's due to the very fun to say first name. We know that happens. You can't deny it. That's Prelander Baroa. Talk to me a little bit about Baroa. Why did he miss this top 10? And sort of what are, your, what are some of your concerns there? Well, he actually made the top 10 in the handbook. He just was moved out for Felman Celestin after uh, the international signing deadline. So going into this, again, I would say if you look at the top 10, you know, the top nine guys were, were pretty safely in there. And there was some debate about who should be number 10. You know, Jonathan Classe, Prelander Barrow, you have Walter Ford, you have Lazaro Montes, who I talked about. And Barrow had really separated himself. So I actually saw Barrow when he was with San Jose and the Giants system in 2021. And look, it was a great arm. You didn't need to be a scout to see that. It was an explosive fastball, smaller guy, but you know, people talked about him with a comp to Edinson Volquez. I mean, just the way that the body, the hair, the delivery, the stuff. You saw you know, a promising slider that needed work. You just also saw him literally, I saw him literally throw a pitch to the net. When I say the backstop, it wasn't the bottom of the backstop. It was above. It was to the net. And there were times he would dial it in and you'd see the control and you'd get through an inning quickly. And then there were times where he could not find the strike zone to save his life and wasn't close to the strike zone to save his life. So you say, okay, it's a good arm. He's in low A. Let's give him some time and just see what happens. But it was more of a, a watch and see type of deal. And when the Mariners acquired him from the Giants for Donnie Walton, you know, one of the things they talked about is there was a sense that he needed a fresh start, that some of the things that were being communicated to him with the Giants and that organization, it just it just wasn't sticking for whatever reason. Sometimes guys just need fresh starts. And you talk about the Mariners and what they do well in pitching development. They are a very, very slider-heavy organization in terms of having guys throw sliders to the point that other teams kind of criticize them for how slider-heavy they are at times. I mentioned Taylor Dollard. He's slider first. He throws a slider more often than his fastball, which is why there's some concern about can he start in the big leagues. In Prelander Barroa's case, what the Mariners did is they really, really improved his slider to make it another dynamic weapon for him. So, again, new voice in his ear. The slider got better. 
the fastball command got better. And all of a sudden you had two pretty dynamite pitches and allowed him to shoot up uh, to double A and, and have far and away the best year of his career. You know, even the Mariners acknowledge he is a reliever. He's going to continue starting for as long as he can. Again, it's always good to have more innings to work on your stuff. He is a reliever, fastball slider moving forward. But he has a chance to be a pretty good one. Eighth inning guy, you know, maybe a closer. Again, it's it's always hard to, to predict. Um, his walk rate is still higher than you'd like it to be. But the Mariners have Andres Munoz. They have Diego Castillo. They have a lot of other guys that can take a ninth inning. If he's a dominant setup man, which, again, is really, really important to win games in the major leagues, that's a win, especially for Donnie Walton, who's an up-down utility man, and everyone knows it. So, yeah, I mean, he really took a step forward. Again, he put himself in the top 10 in the system. He just got pushed out by the Celestin signing. And he's someone someone to watch. Again, the fastball-slider combination should play and will play as long as he maintains the strides he made last year under the Mariners' instruction. Trader Jerry does it again. No shock <laughs> following his career uh, as a GM. I'm actually interested. It's probably a little bit off board here, but there's a couple of names here in this sort of, we'll say 11 to 30 range that could potentially help maybe in sort of role, uh, you know, roles with a major league club this year. Morris role guys, Cade Marlowe, Isaiah yep. Campbell. Um, Talk to me about what impact they could have and how they could potentially help the major league club during the season. Because I know Jerry DePoto actually made a comment maybe in the last few weeks about Cade Marlowe potentially, you know, sort of fitting in as a bench outfielder and giving them another uh, option there in the outfield. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what Cade Marlowe projects to be. I mean, the Mariners put him on their wildcard roster last year, which says all you need to know. I saw him in 2021, Loe Modesto. And he was this big physical left-handed hitter. And you saw the tools. He had power. He could run. He could play all three outfield positions. It's just he was a much older guy facing 18 and 19-year-old pitchers. And you said, okay, this isn't a guy who's just a bigger, older, stiffer guy who's going to necessarily flame out once he sees age-appropriate competition. But you needed to see him prove it. He was a senior sign at Division II West Georgia. He'd always been great stealing bases. He was fast he was athletic he was strong you just had to see how the bat would translate against upper level pitching and there were some questions about that and what he showed last year you know he got off to a slow start but he really really adjusted this is a very smart player he uh, was studying to be a doctor before he decided to take a shot and, and go play professional baseball but he really kind of figured things out toward the second half of the year began to take off with arkansas finished the year at tacoma and like i said got put on the major league roster He's, he's going to be a, a bench outfielder, the type of guy who rounds out a roster rather than everyday starter, because while he, he certainly showed some things about his ability to hit higher level pitching, will he make enough contact against big league stuff every day over a full season? No one really believes that, but can he do it if you massage the right matchups? Can he do it in certain situations once or twice a week? Yeah, probably. And you see power, speed, the ability to play all three outfield positions, you know, come out and hit from the left side off the bench. That's a valuable player. It would not surprise me in the least if Cade Marlowe wins a bench outfield job right out of camp. And if it's not right out of camp for a good part of the season, it would not surprise me to see him in the major league. So again, there's real tools here. You see power, you see speed, the ability to play all three outfield positions, come off the bench, left-handed bat. Why not? 
Yeah, then as for Isaiah Campbell, if I'm not mistaken, he was added to the 40-man roster this yep. year. Um, a guy that's moved almost entirely, I believe, to to the relief side of things, maybe I think 25 yep. appearances this year. It was pretty dominant, um, had some saves, got up to double A. Is this a guy you think like midsummer could sort of be a reinforcement within this bullpen, potentially just because of the stuff? I think we all remember him from his time in Arkansas. Potentially. The issue is he's had a lot of trouble staying healthy. That dates back to his underclass days at Arkansas. Shortly after he was drafted, he had a tough time staying healthy. And Mariners player development officials, frankly, were pretty underwhelmed with him when he was healthy as a starter. But the move to the bullpen has has really helped. He streamlined his arsenal. He was a four-pitch starter. Now it's just fastball and slider exclusively, focusing on his two best pitches. And, you know, they play well off each other. The stuff has ticked up. He's found the right role for him. And if he can stay healthy, yeah, you can certainly see him coming up at some point. Does he become a high leverage guy right away? Probably not. You have to work into that. But considering where he was at this time last year, where he wasn't on the top 30 and it wasn't just because the Mariners had such a strong farm system, it was because he hadn't shown anything to suggest that he had a major league future. The move to the bullpen sort of reinvigorated his career a little bit. Now you can see it happening. So, yeah, and again, you're kind of hitting on the theme here, right? Where last year with this Mariners farm system, you had two franchise type of talent at the top. You had guys throughout the system who you could see playing major roles, whether it's a starter or an off-use utility man or or a high-leverage reliever. The way the system stands now is really once you get into number 11 you're already talking about relievers and and by the time you get down to number 14 15 it's high risk guys or guys that are probably bench players so so the depth is certainly down but there are still some guys here who could potentially help or you know maybe they could pop they're just super far away yeah and i think you know the thing that i like most about isaiah campbell is uh he's bespeckled with an excellent mustache which yes. usually portends for success in high leverage roles i don't yes, know if that's true or not has, he definitely has <laughs> the look both uh physically and yeah the glasses the mustache and, then, and jeff a couple of younger guys you know we've talked about Marlowe and uh and campbell here Again, the Mariners have done a really good job developing pitching prospects, and there are three young arms here in this 11 to 30 range that really have a chance to pop. Uh, The first is Walter Ford, who was a a very, very highly regarded prep pitcher, reclassified for the draft, was one of the youngest in the draft class, has real stuff, just again, a very, very, very young pitcher who has a lot of development ahead, but again, you feel pretty good given the Mariners' pitching development track record. Also, he's uh, got a pretty great nickname, the Vanilla Missile, which He's owned. He stars on website. He sells gear that says vanilla missile. He's branded it, t-shirts, hats, accessories, <laughs> like everything. So got some personality to him too. And uh, has a little bit of a public following. The vanilla missile uh, identity has certainly gained him some followers on social media. You have Ashton Izzy again, another super, super skinny prep right-hander. Again, these guys, super risky, but if he packs on 30 pounds and the stuff comes, you can really have something. And then someone who's kind of one of my favorites is Tyler Guff. I remember first getting his name when he was at Heritage High School in Menifee, California, which is in the old uh, coverage area for my job at the Riverside Press Enterprise. And for those of you who don't know the area I'm talking about, Menifee's desert. There's nothing. It is it is truly a middle-of-the-nowhere type of area. His dad was uh, in the Air Force. I uh, was working up at March Air Force Base, and that's why he was there. And... 
he was kind of standing out even in this kind of middle of nowhere which always is a good sign that you're so good people come find you not many people want to drive up the 15 to menifee to go see players and, and they did uh, he transferred over to jay sarah to get more exposure and you know struggled with some injuries but showed some good stuff and big moments in the cif playoffs and then really really starred at the draft combine so it's kind of a late riser just due to injuries as a senior and um, made a really positive impression on the Mariners when he showed up uh, for the fall instructional league. So keep an eye on Guff. Again, all three of these guys have a chance to pop, but but I think Tyler Guff is a guy that really has a chance to pop and, and could be a late round steal for the Mariners. Nice. Those are interesting names. And uh, if there's one, maybe not one, but they're one of the top organizations to sort of look to for pitcher breakouts, we've seen they've done a great job of developing stuff, you know, improving particular secondaries, but certainly adding velocity onto a lot of these guys and these prep, um, you know, pitchers are certainly like the perfect balls of clay sort of for the Mariners and their development style. So to wrap things up here, are any sort of closing thoughts on this Mariners system uh, before we before we we, we end uh, we end this show? Yeah, I think you look at this right now and say, you know, the Mariner system again, it's it's down a little bit. Um, you know, the top guys, the position players especially are all on the lower levels and pretty far away. They they have a good group of arms that got to double A last year. We talked about Miller, Hancock, Baroa that could come up and help, but it's okay. It's just time to backfill. I mean, you took the number one farm system in baseball. You graduated guys like Julio Rodriguez and George Curry to the majors. You traded guys like Novi Marte and Edwin Arroyo. And, and before that, Brandon Williamson and Connor Phillips to go get big league help. Marte and Arroyo, of course, for Luis Castillo. Williamson and Phillips as part of the trade that brought back uh, Eugenio Suarez, who was great for them. Jesse Winker, not so much. So this is exactly what you want to do. You want to develop a great farm system, graduate some of the top guys, trade some of the others, and get yourself a winning big league club. And, and now it's just time to backfill. And I will say another thing with the Mariners that they deserve credit for is it's important to remember with all farm systems, if you have six, seven really good prospects, realistically only three or four of them are going to hit. And that's kind of best case scenario. You know, Jared Kalanick has not been the player. The Mariners thought he would be as a prospect. Taylor Trammell has not been the player the Mariners or other teams thought he would be as a prospect. Justice Sheffield, who was a big part of the trade for James Paxton, has not been the player the Mariners hoped he'd be. But they kept adding more and more talent. They made some really good trades. Again, the Austin Nola trade to the Padres, getting them Ty France and Andres Munoz was, was a masterstroke. Again, if you have a great farm system, you can't count on every single guy hitting for you. But they had so much talent that that was enough. You make some good trades in some other places you can still build a winning team. So give the Mariners credit for good scouting, good player development, and on the pro side, making some astute trades. And, you know, back-to-back 91 seasons, the playoff drought is over, and you look ahead, they're in a really good place to continue being a good team for years to come with one of the best pitching staffs in baseball. Absolutely. And with that, we'll wrap up this Mariners Top 30 podcast. Please give us a like, share, and subscribe if you haven't already. I'm Jeff Ponce. He's Kyle Glazer. We'll be back with another. Say goodbye 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.